Hello, my dear friends, and welcome once again to The Natural High Club, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. As usual, please excuse the ambient noise that you might hear during this introduction. I am out with my little beloved Yorkshire terrorist riffraff, enjoying some nature whilst we have the chance. I've just had my tiny, tiny mind blown yet again, this time by the wonderful Christina Mand Lacchiani. Christina and her husband co-founded Mind Valley in 2002. They bootstrapped it from their New York apartment and it basically grew and became a global education platform for personal growth and development. But there are so many more strings to her bow. She's currently writing a book called The Art of Being Flawsome. That should be hitting the shelves later on this year. And we talk in depth about happiness, fulfillment, contentment in life, having a sense of purpose. I've rarely spoken to somebody with such coherence and clarity of thought. She speaks so clearly and it was a genuine education for me to hear what she had to say. She seems to me somebody who has really shaken up her life and looked at every single corner of it in order to be radically honest with herself, kind with other people and courageous enough to do both. Uh, As usual, I'm waffling. I'm going to let her take the floor now, but it's genuinely one of my favourite conversations with a wonderful human being. You can go to mindvalley.com to find out more about that education platform if you haven't already heard of it. I certainly had. Or you can go to Instagram at mindvalley or at Christina Manns to go to Christina's personal page where she discusses so many other topics. That's at Christina, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-M-A-N-D, Christina Mand. I am going to put all the links to everything that she does on my website, of course, thenaturalhighclub.com forward slash mindvalley. You can find out everything she's up to and reach out to her by going through that. Uh, And now I'm going to let her take the floor for the next hour or so. It was a wonderful conversation. I know that you're going to enjoy it too. If you are enjoying the podcast, then please feel free to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening. Enjoy the show. (sighs) The Natural High. How's it going? It's uh, good. I thank you so much for your time in advance because I know you're an exceedingly busy human. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not quite <laughs> can i ask where in the world you are right now to start with i'm in estonia oh wow okay tell me about estonia because i know really nothing about it except that i think it's got something like 1500 islands and it's a very beautiful place <laughs> we have loads of islands well that's an unusual knowledge about estonia <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh yeah it's late here it's dark so but I have a nice light room, which is relevant because you're not taking video. Yeah, of course. And and is it a, a beautiful place to live in general? Is it, I've heard the standard of living is pretty good in Estonia, even though your population is quite small, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's good. Yeah, it's um, it was part of Soviet Union, so it took time to recover. 
Well, yeah. And um, um, as you know, The Natural High is a podcast about the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and I don't think you can really fully appreciate ha true happiness without also experiencing the other end of the scale, sadness and adversity. And based mm. on, with what, everything that's happening at this moment in time, I think it would be remiss of me not to talk at least briefly about current affairs because they are so all consuming right now. As you said, you're from Estonia, which, like Ukraine, was once part of the Soviet Union until 91, I think. So yes. I'd love to know what the sense is among your friends and family and the normal people of Estonia right now. Are they horrified by what's happening and do they feel concerned that they too might ultimately be part of Putin's grand plan to rebuild the Russian Empire? Well, uh, it's it's a good start. Well, uh, first of all, I have to say I can't talk for all the people in the country, of obviously, course. because my opinion is my opinion and my um, experience of what's happening is there. Uh, just mine uh mostly what i've heard people are shocked of course and we are very well aware that if ukraine doesn't hold then we are definitely next on the line wow. we have been in Putin's mind always and i think will always be because we were part of soviet union at some point so it is it is horrifying yes it is stressful and um there i i believe there are uh, two camps about anything you take. Some people keep living, not not paying attention. I've been to a few parties where people, uh, I, I was just recently at a birthday party and for three hours, guys were just talking about crypto. And I was like, guys, seriously, <laughs> take a break in the three hour stretch and let's discuss what's really important right now. So, but then there are also people who like my parents who are always on the news, which is also a little bit of an extreme, I guess. Uh, it's um, uh, it, it like, I mean, we are, we can't really do much from the, from the distance, unfortunately. I mean, we can do, but, um, but we can't stop the war per se. So, of course. Um so do do you feel that in Estonia that maybe Putin's plan is to to, to rebuild the Russian Empire? Is that what oh, the definitely. concern is? Uh, I am quite sure, but of course I'm not an analyst and I, I'm not uh, really analyzing news. I'm more engaged in that right now because it's it's so important. Uh, but I've uh, I've always. Um, well, I, I never found Putin an attractive character, so I don't know much about him. He's, of course, in the forefront right now because of what he's doing. I'm worried that he's uh, he's a little insane. And if, uh, you know, insane people, if they go down, they take down as many people with them as they can. But I don't want to to turn this podcast into... into Totally. No, I mean, I asked you the question and as I said, it's, yeah. it's on everybody's lips right now. I, I'm not even sleeping particularly well because it's just so horrifying. I cannot, I, I agree with you. I think he's he's insane or he's terminally ill or there's something else going on because I just don't know how he could possibly justify this in his head, what he's doing, you know, basically destroying a peace-loving country. It, it's so hard mm -hmm. to understand from the point of view of a normal person like myself. Well, not just a neighboring country. He's he's been meddling with neighboring countries for years. <clears throat> well, as long as he's been in power, which is uh, over twenty years now, right? Maybe more. Actually, I don't remember very well. But uh, he's um, he's also destroying his own people, and that's the sad thing. Yeah, and his own country. Absolutely. And do you think the consensus? Again, we're speculating. But do you think the consensus amongst Russian people is that this is a horrifying thing that's going on? I've seen there's been loads of arrests, but at the same time, I'm mm -hmm. hearing from some sources that Putin's approval ratings have gone up since he invaded Ukraine. 
Well, we, I, I wouldn't normally operate with just guesses. I prefer facts, but uh, Russia has been cut off from the rest of the world. They have been living in their own information sphere. So their uh, understanding of the world is, is quite different. And um, the way they picture these events are the complete opposite. So their logic, their rationale is that, uh, that Ukraine and NATO have been um, threatening Russia and Russia had no choice but to go and, uh, you know, uh, which is ridiculous, of course, for any person with, with rational mind, but their logic is literally we had to start war to avoid war. Yeah. So you think they believe the propaganda largely then? Yes. Wow. Uh, well, again, uh, Russia is not a monolith thing. Mm. There are people who, who and, and majority and a lot of people do believe there are people who maybe don't believe or maybe are cautious or s see that something is off and wrong, uh, but uh, not many people dare to, to speak. And then there are also people who are pretty clear on what's going on and a lot of people are trying to escape. So. Uh, because the, where, where Russia is headed right now is not a good place. I was born in Soviet Union, so I know what it is, but I think what they're trying to create is is much more strict than what I remember. So I would probably compare it to the Stalin time or something like that, which I, thank God, I never experienced. Mm. But again, this is my speculation, of course. I don't uh, I don't know for, for a fact. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you for giving me your opinion on that. And I know, as you, as you say, you're sort of geographically closer to the situation, so it must be of concern to you and, and the people of Estonia. I, I just hope that we can have some peace before too long because I don't like where it's going at all. And I know that most no. people in the world probably feel exactly the same as me. They just can't believe in this day and age that this sort of thing is happening. Well, I, I do. I think we all have to take responsibility to a degree for things that happen because we have been living in, a, well, at least in the Western world, in the Western affluent countries, we've been living in uh, relative safety and um, and well, freedom in, in our expression. So there has been a lot of apathy. So mm. that's why we've seen uh, trends which have been going on uh, in politics, where, where uh, let's say extreme parties um, take majority or take take governments and um, something which which shouldn't be happening. So I'm originally from Belarus. I mean, not originally, I was born in Belarus. I'm originally from Estonia, but I was born in Belarus. So I have relatives there. And two years ago, they had a revolution. And I remember when I was uh, speaking on that topic, I had some of my relatives write to me, uh, oh, wh why do you meddle with that? Politics is dirty. Don't go into this. You're, you're like a young girl. Don't, don't deal with that. So, you, you know, I believe that if you don't do politics, politics will come and do you. Right. Okay. And that's the thing with us. We've been too apathetic. We've been too uh, indifferent towards what's happening yep. uh, right, right next to us. Uh, you know, trading a piece, a, a relative peace of mind for, uh, for like, I don't want to go into conflict, so I'll just close my eyes. That's what you're doing is completely against my values. I won't express myself because I don't want conflict. And that's uh, little by little. It's it's not like it happened just now. It's been going on for a long time. I mean, the first time Putin did something like that was, I think, 2008 when he attacked Georgia. Right. So we, there wasn't outcry like what we're seeing right mm. now. Yeah. Well, thank you for your... Sorry, it's such an interesting, different... <laughs> that conversation didn't start the way I expected it. 
<laughs> you know, there is very little structure to my conversations and I just try and let them yeah. flow organically. And what I do do is focus very much, very closely on what the person is, what the guest is saying. So I just let it flow organically. And, you know, I generally get such interesting and inspiring people on. I'm very excited to speak to you because I am fully aware of Mind Valley. And I want to talk to you about your, your new book, um, your third book, I believe it is, The Art of Being Flawsome. Uh, well, I, I have programs. As a book, it's my first book. Oh, okay, fair enough. Well, I'll definitely come on to that. But I just wanted to sort of bask in the glory of Mind Valley for a moment, just to celebrate Mind Valley because it's such an amazing story, and it's a company with a really clear purpose, as far as I can see. Uh, I think you, you co-founded it with your husband in two thousand and two, and it's become a wildly successful global educational platform. So, so if you don't, I, don't, I know this is going to be a difficult one to answer as well. But what do you think the key to the success of Mind? Valley was and what's the most gratifying part of it for you? I think that the key to the success was that it was the mission which was in the core of the company. Uh, we've, of course, we've also tried to discover ourselves there. We, we have had uh, weird um, expressions of what we do, uh, have gone into technology and into, into other things which were not, strictly speaking, about personal growth and transformation. But the point is that in the core, from the very, very beginning, it was, and Vision is the, the, the mommy of the company <laughs> because he's, he's the one who gave birth to it. Uh, so it, from the very beginning, Vision's idea was that, you know, this, this is a cool thing. It has helped me in my life. I want to share it. And that's, that's the idea which has been with the company throughout this whole uh, time. So it's, uh, it's now 18, 18 years, yes, uh, that, that we've been in business. And no matter how we express ourselves, the desire was to, to let people have access to the knowledge and to the skills and to the uh, teachings, uh, authors who have helped uh, us to live a better life. So I think that's the, the key to success. It's the mission. Right. There's a lot of, you know, I mentioned I mentioned crypto here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not actually anti-crypto or anything, but there is a lot of business nowadays, uh, nowadays where, where, especially among the younger people, where they're so excited about the numbers game, about the money game. And I get it, it's exciting. But if it's purely just that, and it doesn't have this core deep mission in it, it has a limit as well. You wouldn't have the numbers been, without the passion is what you're saying. You wouldn't have the numbers without the without the vision. You, you can have the numbers as well, but sooner or later it's going to uh, fizzle out in some way because just just a very simple example. So I've been doing business uh, Mind Valley in Russian speaking language uh, or market since 2009. So it's a long time. And of course we've had all sorts of things, but right now, uh, Russia is uh, under huge sanctions and it's cut off from the rest of the world. And Ukraine is uh, in war. It's 80% of our market. Wow. So from, if you look at it from a um, numbers point of view, it doesn't make much sense. But if you look at it from the point of view of mission, you understand that it's going to stay. There's nothing that will stop it because in some shape or form, the business is going to be there. It's just that it might need time for adjustment and might need um, you know, refocusing or reframing how we're doing that. But the mission stays. We want, no matter where you are, we want to help you to feel happy and fulfilled and live a meaningful life because when, once you're happy, fulfilled and live a meaningful life, you're actually not going to go into senseless uh, unjust war on a neighboring country and and probably you wouldn't be as interested in materialistic gains either would you i don't uh, mind materialistic games actually <laughs> games i actually think that we have to be um, in balance like um, 
one of the one of our previous authors, uh, Habecker, uh, he says, "What is more important, a hand or a leg? How about both?" I do think right. that numbers are important, but numbers without mission are empty. And sooner or later, you're going to lose interest, passion. You're going to lose interest not just in numbers in life. If you have something bigger, something more meaningful, yes, you have the passion. But if you don't have the money, you don't have the ability to pursue that passion. So both are important. Yeah, it's a really good answer. Um, I believe that it's such a multifaceted uh, educational platform now, but obviously it started much smaller than that. And I think a lot of your original passion and drive to do it came from uh, finding meditation. Would I be right in thinking that? So as I said, it's Vision's uh, baby. I was born in Soviet Union, so personal growth or business weren't, weren't part of my worldview or my, my reality. So I actually got dragged into that as a, as a wife at that point. So uh, yes, it started with Silver Method, which is an old method. Uh, it was... Um, created in the middle of the 20th century by a Mexican guy in US uh, who was interested in, uh, in uh, hyp hypnotherapy. And he created this method, which is essentially meditation, but it is uh, because it was uh, created in the 20th century. So they couldn't talk about, you know, um, intuition or energy or something like that so he 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 put it into the very pragmatic shape so he used meditative states to uh, achieve goals in your life let's say visualize or <laughs> which whichever he does have uh, uh, techniques which for that time even were a little bit uh, weird but he was working with things like memory visualization um, you know pain healing uh, and and that's what what uh, got vision into personal growth when he was 14 and that also was a trigger to start mind valley because in uh, in the very early stages we the first site that we created was to uh, find students for visions meditation classes <laughs> so yes it started from there and uh, now all these years later i still believe that the silver method is absolutely amazing and incredible but we are so much wider than than just meditation of course yeah of course um, and so what does meditation give give you personally? Huh. That's interesting. You know, it's. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry if it if it is a little funny, but it's like asking, what does showering give you? <laughs> well, I suppose there is a different answer for everybody, and I'm so invested in the idea of meditation that I just think it's great. To, to, to find out what other people think about it. For me, it's about awareness. It's about self-awareness. The more self-aware I become, I think the more fulfilled I can become and the more um, value I can be to other people and in my social romantic connections and interactions. Well, uh, definitely meditation has a lot of benefits, but um, I do think that... Um, you can do a lot of things if you don't if you don't practice meditation even awareness you can practice awareness uh, with very um, logical techniques uh, and uh, although meditation is also quite clinical and medically explainable uh, i uh, I don't know to even know how to explain. I think meditation is just the basis of so many techniques, so many schools, so many, so many practices, so many 
uh, things you can do. And also there are so many different ways of meditation. So it is, um, it is like, uh, okay, if not shower, like what does knowing alphabet give you? It gives, uh, so for me, meditation is like the alphabet of personal growth. It, it gives you literacy, but how you use it, it's up to you. Very interesting. I was going to mention a quote by Aristotle, uh, which is knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. I love that uh, quote. And I was reading a few of your quotes as well, which I found <laughs> fascinating, um, such as the surest way, the surest way to change the way you influence the world is to change the relationship with yourself, which is, um, yeah, as I said, that really resonated with me in terms of meditation and self-awareness and things like that. How, how have you changed the relationship with yourself over time to make, to give yourself a more positive perception of yourself and how can others do that? Uh, it's, uh, you know, um, I do not know if my relationship with myself has much to do with me trying to see myself more positively, okay. uh, per se. Uh, but, uh, for me, relationship with, with self, uh, is about honesty for, foremost, and uh, that is uh, quite a path because our brain is built in a way where it tries to um, it, it plays it plays tricks on us all the time. So uh, so for me, uh, the path to knowing myself was the path of, of uh, learning to be honest with myself and. Uh, to do that with kindness, because uh, as you said, Aristotle was the guy who talked about, you know, knowing yourself. And in the old days, our idea, especially if you look at Stoics, our idea of, of a relationship with self was a little bit um, intense and not always kind. So for me, uh, the relationship with self is about um, well, I, I like to name these three qualities, but I guess the, the cornerstone is, uh, is is honesty and kindness, and as a prerequisite, it requires uh, courage. Uh, and uh, when I teach um, being authentic, <laughs> if I can teach that, uh, then I usually give a warning that this is not a, a, a flip switch. You know, you can't um, you can't uh, be honest with yourself and then not be honest with yourself. Okay. Honest in some areas and I mean, not in others. Yes. Or, or let's say today, right now I want to be authentic and then I don't want to be authentic. It doesn't work like that. It's, uh, it works like a uh, skydive. Once, out of you, once you're out of the plane, you only have one way to go <laughs> and hope that your parachute opens. You can't pack up your chute in the middle and then uh, trace your way back to the plane and doesn't work this way. So that's the thing with honesty. Once you figure out the relationship with yourself, there is no way back because you can live with different people's truth, uh, with my truth, with Putin's truth. But if once you know your own truth, you, you can't close your eyes on that anymore. That's the one which you have to take. So if, if you see your own truth, it's that's it you you have no way back so that's that's for me uh the journey to to uh figuring out your relationship with yourself and then yes the, the quote that you just gave it comes from a an event where i was speaking and the event was about actually influence and people were talking about growing their audiences and engaging the audiences and there were all the all the famous people online and then i was asked to talk about authenticity and i was like how do i even fit into this whole mm. picture <laughs> because authenticity is not about influencing the world it's about uh, your relationship with you and that's where it ends uh, another quote that i really like of yours is that the truth uh, is that there are no wrong or right emotions. Emotions just are. 
They are given to us for a reason to pay attention to that area of our life. Would you say that you um, the reason why you wanted to make changes in the first place is because you didn't feel completely happy? Because I think a lot of us feel feelings of guilt and that we're doing the wrong things or having the wrong emotions. How do you sort of come through that? And would you say that you have been on a journey to try and make yourself feel less guilty about your emotions? Yeah, it's uh, so the path, the path to knowing yourself may be one way, but the way I stumbled on that path was different. And that path was, uh, I, I lived a very um, good life. Uh, I was married uh, with two children with business, uh, traveling the world doing what I love. And uh, occasionally, yes, I felt things which I thought I shouldn't be feeling. So that quote uh, starts with actually, um, a message that I learned from um, a wonderful teacher and TED speaker, Susan David. She's a psych psychologist. She's actually, I think, a psychotherapist, in fact. Uh, so she 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 spoke on um, on TED stage, and she mentioned that let's let's start by not judging emotions, by not calling them positive or negative, good or bad, but just saying what kind of emotions do I want more of, and what kind of emotions do I want less of. And I did find her uh, in the moment of my life where I was. Feeling stuck. I had this perfect life that I had nothing, uh, like logically speaking, I had nothing to complain about, but I wasn't happy about it. Right. And we we get those cognitive dissonances in so many different areas. For example, <laughs> some a funny example. You you go for something, it's your big goal, it's your dream, you strive for it, you put your sweat and blood for it for years, and then you achieve it and you don't feel anything. You right. Feel that. Yep. And you're like, okay, what's something is wrong, or the other way around, you some big dream is is shattered, but you don't feel devastated. You actually feel liberated to pursue something else. Mm -hmm. So uh, th this kind of uh, dissonance in your head, where you you feel something different from what you logically think you should be feeling, that was the place for me to start this journey towards uh, becoming honest with myself, because I started asking, why am I not happy if everything is perfect? I have nothing to complain about. Everything, whichever aspect of my life I take, it seems to be perfect. So what's wrong with me? And that's how we normally ask what's wrong with me. <laughs> and uh, because, because it was a painful realization and that's, <clears throat> that is inc incredibly uncomfortable, I had to start looking for ways. And what I discovered was that actually psychology has answers to almost all our unpleasant emotions. We're just not taught. And this is something so simple, and I don't know why we are not taught. So I'm just self-taught amateur psychologist right now. <laughs> so, but so why do we then not appreciate things that we strive for? Why does that happen so frequently? I, I I've experienced it so much in my life. Are we looking for the wrong things? I guess there are different scenarios how this can happen. Sometimes, mostly, it is because yes, we are looking for things which we think are going to make us happy but they don't and of course here we could go into so many directions about the idea of if then you know if i achieve that then i'll be happy and this is such a big trap uh sri kumar rao is uh, is another amazing author and professor and he he teaches that that you know if you if you just give up this construct of if i achieve then i will be happy uh, then then it, it it is going to liberate you to feel happiness right now but uh my theory is a little bit I have to trace it back. My theory is uh, because we always make a choice between success and happiness. And um, 
we don't prioritize happiness at all. So while we want happiness for for our loved ones, uh, for people that you like, if I ask you, what do you want to the of what do you wish to the person that you love the most? Normally, most people would say, I'd like that person to be happy. Foremost, uh, that's why we wish each other happiness, happy birthday, happy mm. anniversary, happy this, happy that. But if you uh, look at the people's goals, if we had a, a you know a vision board of everybody's goals written down, let's say New Year's re resolution, I bet you wouldn't find happiness there, unless it's in the context of I, I want to uh, to raise happy kids. But for ourselves, we kind of think that it is um, unimportant. So obviously, if you think that something is unimportant, like with anything in personal growth, how is it going to materialize in your life? You want a happy marriage, you have to work on that. You want a healthy body, you have to work on that. Whatever you want, you have to work on that. Yet there's this one important area that we want for everyone that we love. Yet we deny ourselves the, uh, e even the idea that it could be important. So if you listen to the discourse about happiness, which is currently happening in the world, you will hear people saying that happiness is unimportant. Don't pursue happiness, because if you do, you won't reach it. Mm -hmm. Or meaning is important and happiness isn't. Happiness is secondary. So we keep telling ourselves it's unimportant, it's unimportant, it's unimportant, secondary. And how does it express? So, for example, if you have to make a choice, uh, my question is, would you choose happiness or success? And my uh, hypothesis is that we mostly choose success over happiness because happiness, we think, is a gamble. We don't understand it, we don't value it, and we also told that you can't uh, chase it. So we choose success because it... it, it it's, it's more tangible. It's more tangible and you can understand it logically. You can understand to, make, to build a successful business, you have to put certain hours, you know, hustle and all this bullshit. Uh, and, and it gives you some sense of control. So, for example, if you have a choice when you go to university, uh, should, I, should I do arts or music or something that I'm passionate about that makes me feel alive, or should I go and study law? most people will be told, of course, go study law. That's a sure career, that's a sure path. Mm. It's logically explainable and it's, it's understandable. Yeah, it requires work, but at least you know how to put work into that because this is the resource which is clear. Uh, if you go for art or music, that's a gamble. How can you be world famous? It's, you don't know what's going to make you. Or... Uh, there are there are a lot of situations like that. For women, uh, a very clear, a very um, relatable example is: uh, should you take time off and and start a family, have children, or should you go deeper into your uh, career? And uh, of course, nowadays women are expected to do both, but uh, a lot of the women choose uh, choose family. Uh, not because of their natural inclination, but because we are told since childhood, since young girls, we are told that your role is to be a mama. Patriarchal society. Yes. And uh, women who are like, um, like I, I, I don't know, uh, Marie Curie, who are into, let's say, science and not families, they understand that this is, they're sacrificing their uh, feminine happiness for something which is important to them. And in a society, no matter how much they will be admired for their whatever business success or, or, or scientific success, they will always be considered uh, half a woman, not truly happy woman, not fulfilled woman, because she chose 
something which is illogical. And because we make these choices all the time, success over happiness, and success seems to be so, uh, so clear and so understandable, and happiness is a gamble, we go for success. Mm. I think that's very true. And obviously, obviously, we are not going to be happy. I think that's really true. Um, <clears throat> what makes you happy then? And how have the goalposts changed? What, what is your understanding of happiness these days? What are the things that you really gravitate towards? I... You know, I normally don't talk about what happiness is. I talk about what happiness isn't, uh, because I do think that there are a lot of different types of happiness. So for me, uh, putting my kid to sleep and, and uh, singing with her and, and being silly and reading a book, that's happiness. For someone else, it might be going out and partying and then networking and whatnot. For someone, it might be spending long hours at work because that's what makes them happy. So I, I don't really want to tell people what happiness is uh, because if I were to give scenarios, we'd have another, you know, we have all the scenarios for how to be successful, but the scenario for how to be happy is a personal thing. It shouldn't be given by the society. It should be created by you. So usually what, uh, when I talk about happiness, I say what it is not, it is definitely not secondary. It is important. It is very important. And I, I think if, if we could just allow ourselves to, to say, I can work on my happiness, it's important, it's relevant, um, you know, it's not selfish. The other thing, which it definitely isn't, it's not an emotion. Because emotions by nature are, uh, are volatile, transient. So if you equate happiness to some kind of joy or elation or uh, whatever ecstatic emotions, then of course it's not going to be achievable. It's emotion. You feel this one moment, the next moment you feel something else. Uh, so for me, happiness is, a, I prefer to think of it as a state because state is more stable and it's, uh, it's re you, you can create that. So uh, very simply put, it's, it's a type of resourceful, content state when you know that you're in the right place, doing the right thing, and you want nothing else in the world than what you're doing. Nice. But we'll agree that it, whether, whether it's termed as an emotion or a state, that it is, it is very important. It should be a priority in your life, achieving regular uh, happiness. Yes, I think it is important. And I wish people uh, actually had the courage to to go for it. Um, some of the major elements that I wanted to talk to you today about were hacking happiness and self-love. And I suppose they're really linked, aren't they, based on what you've been talking about, I, being happy and loving yourself. I think happiness is a slightly wider phenomenon because uh, I think that self-love is um, a critical part of it. But uh, one of the longest researches about happiness, and of course, granted, happiness is a slightly subjective thing, uh, points to uh, the connection between happiness and the people in your life. It's this Harvard research which lasted for more, more than 75 years. Uh, so they, they said that the, the strongest correlation between how happy people felt was with uh, the amount and strength of connections, meaningful connections in their life. So if you look at it from that point of view, I, I actually was very reluctant to take that into my, my own teachings because uh, in personal growth, rule number one is everything in your hands. Even I mentioned, you know, you, we have to take responsibility for what we have in this world. Uh, so with that rule number one, admitting that your happiness depends on people in your life is a little bit scary, but it is true. So because of that, I can't say that happiness and self-love are um, interchangeable. 
Point. But self-love is a component of happiness. You cannot be happy if you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and you also talk about cultivating. I mean, you have been talking about cultivating a sense of fulfillment and, and happiness. Are there are there practices, specific practices every day that you do which you won't miss out on because you find those to be particularly valuable in terms of finding that sense of, of um yeah, equilibrium and fulfillment. You know, I'm not terribly good with practices and being regular and being disciplined. I have a I'm team, so surprised. Yeah, I have a team who reminds me that, hey, you <laughs> right. promised that last week. <laughs> hey, you promised it two weeks ago. When are you doing that? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's that's my thing. But, you know, I believe happy is when you do you. Uh, I don't have practices which I stick to. Like sometimes I can skip shower. I prefer not to because I stink and I don't like stinking. But uh, I can um, replace med uh, classical standard meditation with a walk in the park if I feel that I haven't exercised and I want to combine one with the other. I'm mindful of what I do and I'm very aware and conscious. And this is these are skills which I've been practicing for years. Mm. But with that said, uh, rather than practices, I value... Uh, the things that I, I mentioned already, uh, honesty, kindness, and courage together. Honesty and kindness have to go together hand in hand. Courage is just prerequisite because if you, if, if you don't have the courage, don't go this way. But honesty and kindness are the two important skills, which I think are incredibly important for you. Oh, oh God, I'm saying important, important twice. <laughs> they are the crucial skills, <laughs> which you absolutely need if you want. In order to, yeah, go on. In order to, to love yourself and actually for happiness love yourself. as well. For happiness, I do have practices because I started training happiness way longer before I became very philosophical and very, <laughs> very fond of psychology. So for happiness, I had uh, six or seven practices. I don't remember right now, but I'll, I'll uh, name them without going into depth. Okay. Uh, the skill of being present in the present moment. Uh, it's um, gratitude, obviously. <laughs> it's forgiveness, uh, self-love, uh, meaningful connections in your life, and dealing with pain. These were, I think, the six. Wow, yeah, they're really, really great tenets because they really do seem to cover all the bases. Mm. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure there are other things you can you can think of, but these were the ones which are the pillars of my own training of happiness. I actually sometimes, occasionally, I talk about also uh, no judgment, no perfection, because for women, perfection is a huge killer of happiness. So there are, you know, there there are ways to to look at that. But the point is that the practices that I suggest are um, might not make you feel. Um, very joyful in the moment but over long time they change the way you feel they reprogram the way you interact mm. with the world so they are long long-term strategies rather than because for for short-term strategies i have uh, a glass of wine and a piece of chocolate that also makes me feel good <laughs> nice. i know i can't i can't do that the, the thing that with most practices that you see if you use something to make yourself feel good even if it's a meditation or exercise or um, walk in the park or, or talking to a friend or even going to a psychotherapist. These are all kind of good uh, ways to deal with stress, with negative emotions, with, with downs. But the thing is that if you cross the line from it being efficient towards it being obsessive, you know, I've been in personal growth for 19 years. I've seen so many people who 
who drown and disappear in the practices because that that's the only place where they can feel good. They almost become dependent on them, they, too dependent. They do become dependent on it. And even the good things, you can become dependent on that. I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. Gratitude is such a common exercise. We do it almost on autopilot, check, 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 check. It doesn't even create a feeling anymore. But the thing is that, but gratitude, of course, people mostly don't, don't uh, disappear into it. They, it's, it's more about exercise or meditation or wine, which triggered me to talk about that. Uh, the problem with that is that if you, if you overuse it, it loses its effect on you. So it's not only uh, dependency that you have to do that because without meditation, I just don't feel good. But mm -hmm. it also stops having the same inf uh, influence on you. It's that that's what happens with any kind of addiction. If you have been addicted to anything, even the most uh, innocent things, like I don't know, cakes and chocolate or whatever, you know how it works. First, you want just just one chocolate, and then you suddenly realize that you, uh, in in one evening, you ate like half a kilo, <laughs> because it, one doesn't do the job anymore. So rather than, than daily practices, how do we address these tenets that you've been speaking of, such as, you know, um, forgiveness and honesty and kindness? Do we just address them as they come up in actual real life rather than having daily practices? Yes, for sure. No, you have to have daily practices because um, daily practices give structure to your day. And actually, especially if you are uh, in a very stressful, hectic environment, then daily practices help you ground. So we started with war. And I remember when I came back to Estonia, it, it was in the middle of the conflict. I was feeling very distraught. So I spent a lot of time checking the news and other very addictive uh, activity, uh, worrying, uh, trying to find something useful to do. So looking if any refugees need help. All these things that we do to, to make ourselves either feel better or feel in control in some one way or another. Uh, and of course, one week, my, my schedule was completely out of, out of order. I didn't go to the office. I was doing like work only if I was absolutely forced to do it. Uh, but the, if, you, if you have children, you would know that for a small child, what a doctor says, routine is what makes a child at peace, calm. Mm -hmm and capable it routine gives a child uh, really the stable environment to grow and it, it's true for us the grown-ups as well the, in the stressful times if you can stick to any kind of routine it's really grounding it's really helpful that's why even if if you're absolutely stressed you know take your showers and if you're used to meditating meditate if you're used to walking go go for a walk it's important to stick to to your meals to your to your uh, routines i don't I, i'm not a person who will say you ha absolutely have to meditate, you absolutely have to do the exercises, or you absolutely have to be, I don't know, vegetarian, whatnot. It's, it's everybody's personal choices. I think we have 7 billion people and there are so many different choices. But what, and you know, I was once uh, do, doing an interview on the, on the radio here in Estonia and they asked this trick question in the very end. They said, so what's the recipe for happy life? And I was so- Pretty much what I've, I've asked you. <laughs> you know, I, I was so grateful. No, but in your context, it's different. But I was so grateful for the word recipe because there are no recipes. Gotcha. Life has no recipes. What works for you now might not work for you five years from now. What works for you now might not have been even in the question 10 years from now. Before. What works for me may not work for you. As you say, it's really bespoke. That's for sure. For and what person. works for you, <clears throat> excuse me, what works for you in one area of your life might not work with another area of your life. Hmm. Because there are no recipes. If life had recipes, we'd be just drones and dolls and I don't know, Stafford's wives. 
but we are not we're human beings and we are very unique and that's why there are no recipes and if we could just let it go because being in personal growth i know everybody's asking me what is the checklist you know to do's and to never to do's it's not like that for some person i might say you need a break for another person i might say you need a kick in the ass and start hustling so is that where the book comes from, the art of being flawsome? Because you're basically saying there is not, there isn't one path for everybody. You don't need to beat yourself up about not adhering to certain practices and certain achievements and accomplishments. It's different for everybody. It's um, it's ending with the uh, with the message of there are no recipes in life, and I actually went a little further, and then my editor said, just leave it there, unless you want to open up another loop and then <laughs> leave people hanging. So it is it is a different topic for sure. It's a different topic because it's about personal choices. When I talk about the art of being flossome, I'm talking about very simple thing: how to learn to be honest with yourself and to accept yourself. And to love yourself, learn to love yourself and accept yourself, not despite your flaws, but with them and maybe even because of them. That's where the word flawsome comes in from. It's a flawed person who is still awesome. And that's sort of a lot of a lot about removing the guilt from your life, right? Uh, <laughs> I think that is, is guilt a positive emotion. I suppose it, it makes you <laughs> if you feel guilty, as you say, you, you, you have to. It's a sort of way of showing you an area of your life that you need to work on. I think Putin should feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think I uh, think a mom who had a hard day and uh, you know was uh, less than uh, enlightened and <laughs> maybe lashed out at, at someone, she maybe shouldn't feel guilty. Maybe she should take note and take a break. These are different things. And as you said a little earlier, what is a positive emotion? What is negative emotion? Guilt is a very unpleasant emotion. A a less pleasant emotion than guilt is actually shame because guilt has some kind of vector in it. If you feel guilty for, let's say, for being late for a meeting, you can make corrective action because you can come on time for the next meeting. If you feel ashamed, then usually there is no vector. So if you feel ashamed because you are always late for the meeting, then there is no correction, a corrective action because you believe that you are essentially uh, bad in some way or broken right. or flawed. So these are not pleasant emotions, but uh, as I like to compare emotions with with uh, physical um, physical sensations, even unpleasant emotions are necessary because they highlight that area of your life where you need to pay attention. And that's the quote that you 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 gave earlier. It's um, you know in in medicine there is a. Uh, there is a term called congenital analgesia, and it's a condition when a person doesn't feel pain, uh, physical pain. They just can't experience it. You can cut their fingers and they wouldn't feel anything or, or like burn burn their skin, they wouldn't feel. So people... So then it's not only they don't feel pain, but they don't feel any sensations at all. Uh, I have not studied it that deep, but I believe so. Uh, okay. So what happens is that these people, they don't live very long. They usually don't live up to adulthood because they don't notice uh, those parts of their body which require attention. So pain from the human body is a signal to pay attention. If it's external pain, let's say you feel very unpleasant in your uh, finger and then you look that you're you're touching fire, then you kind of, you flinch because you feel the- Survival instinct. You don't need to make, you don't need to analyze. Yeah. And, um, 
but but it goes deeper than that. So people people who have congenital analgesia, they can be biting off their tongue without noticing because they don't get the, the feedback, right? But they will also deteriorate from inside because they wouldn't feel the, um, the sickness. Uh, and I think that uh, we live in a society where, where we're striving for emotional analgesia. And so interesting. Pain, emotional pain is given to us for the same exact same reason. If you feel uncomfortable, that's a signal for you to pay attention what's going on there. And just like with physical body, first apply first aid, get it, get your vitals back to normal, and then go get a diagnosis and heal it. That's what, what emotional pain is about. So if you if you feel shame and you don't like it, well, first of all, you have to you have to get back to normal and then ask yourself, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? What does it say about me? What does it say about my values, about how I live my life? And that's why I think uh, in personal growth, <clears throat> awareness is one of the most crucial skills, because if you have the level of honesty and kindness to be this aware, you don't even need any willpower to change anything in your life. You will be noticing things you don't enjoy, but rather than escaping from them into a glass of wine or meditation, you'll just ask yourself, what is it about me? What does it say about me, about my values? And if you have enough honesty, you will be very honest. You you will not pretend that, no, 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 that's not what's happening. You will actually say how it is. And if you have enough kindness, it's not going to make you hate yourself for that. And then you don't need you don't need anything to correct it because you will see it will be so clear you'll be like, okay I'm not doing that anymore. Right. So we're not trying to disting- extinguish guilt and shame and all of those uncomfortable emotions in our life. We're trying to react healthily to them when they do come up and be aware enough to realize where they're coming from. Yes. I am uh, generally not into business of fixing people or telling them how to live and telling them even what happiness is. I think everybody knows all the answers. We wow. just we just do, we just lack courage to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So true. There's a big Venn diagram there as well, isn't there, with meditation? Because meditation is about allowing all of the emotions, isn't it? Just observing, allowing them to happen. There's no good, there's no bad, just being aware. It depends on the style of meditation, of course, and, the, and on sure. the school of meditation, because meditation is such a long practice, and there are very strict schools which may give you even more. Um, even more um, restrictions. Uh, I've seen people in our industry who give give themselves so many restrictions that they kind of escape from one rut into completely other rut, which is maybe healthier, but still not as happy. Uh, Meditation also, I, I, and again, it is a basis for a lot of things, but I wouldn't idealize it for one simple reason. Experience happens in life. So if your only moment of awareness is when you meditate and you're aware of your breath and how you feel right now and that annoying chirping bird is really going on your nerves because you're trying to go deeper and of course inventing right now or whatever drilling drilling neighbor then it is very detached from life maybe when you need the awareness and the honesty it's exactly in the heat of emotions when you're in a conflict when you are not happy with your performance when you are beating yourself up when you're being self-critical that's when you need the awareness but how many of us are going to drop into meditation and say okay, I'm not just focusing on my breath, I'm focusing on what just happened. Mm. So meditation is good. It's a good state. 
But if you could combine it to some um, with with some uh, practices out of psychology textbook, whether it's journaling or processing your emotions or you know introspection, then meditation is going to be really powerful. Knowing as I do how much you value honesty in terms of fulfillment, now I'm going to ask you <laughs> it, through all of your through all of your years of self improvement and teaching self improvement, um, what what remains your greatest challenge? What what's the greatest challenge for you now? Well, um, my greatest challenge right now, of course, is the war in Ukraine, mm. and it has been uh, it has been an interesting experience. It reminded me of. Um, of so many things that we we tend to take for granted, which which are actually important, and it has removed some of the noise out of my picture because we we all human, uh, and and that that is like I, I wish it ended. I wish to wake up tomorrow morning and and read the news that it's finished and and uh, that crazy dude is taken to court, um, and all the nuclear weapons are destroyed. But <laughs> that philosophical aspect aside. <laughs> Hmm. Um, I don't know. So then, how do we? How you do know we? What? How I do, do we I do not, live with it? I do not know if I would call something a challenge per se. There are questions that need to be solved, but I guess I just enjoy life as it is, in every expression, and uh, I try to enjoy the the realness of this the way it is so it's it's really hard to explain it's a little masochistic maybe <laughs> but even even this fear and this realization and this this fear that everything is so fragile and and that kids are growing up uh, it's un these are un you know and i'm going older and life is going one way and i i don't enjoy the thought of death but even all those you look to me like you're at the apex of your life right now <laughs> thank you but even those unpleasant thoughts they uh, they remind me that i'm alive and that's right. the point of being alive is actually experiencing it to the fullest in my opinion so i i of course, I have problems. Of course, I have pains in my life, but I wouldn't call anything like a challenge in the way where I, I, I keep struggling with that. I just keep living and, and adjusting as I, as I go. And I adjust a lot. I adjust all the time. Maybe I'm a little too too aware of what's going on and I shouldn't be adjusting all this all this much. But it's it's the idea of dancing. You know, life, is, as, as Alan Watts said, life is not a destination, it's a dance. Ah, uh, the wonderful Alan Watts. And the dance partner is life itself. So the dances, you, you like, I, I'm a woman, so I've learned dancing following the partner. So if my, if my life is my dance partner, then it's about like, can I feel it? Can I make a step in the right direction? Can I be led? Wow. That's, that's what my life is I, like. I really hope you put that in the book because that's beautiful. <laughs> that's a really beautiful idea. It's a lovely image. Um, do you think, again, we've talked about how, you know, fulfillment and satisfaction for everybody is different, but how important is it for you to have a purpose in life? And do you think it's important for us to have a purpose? Do you think, again, just like a routine that gives us some kind of um, foundation, foundations in our life? I, I do believe that it is incredibly important to have a purpose. And here I, I, I want to remind the wonderful quote by, well, loosely quoted by me, but by uh, Viktor Frankl that, uh, suffering ceases to be well, well pain ceases to be suffering if it gets meaning so meaning allows meaning allows you to take life as it comes 
If you have meaning, then you can take even the darkest night if you find meaning in that. And it doesn't mean that everything has a silver lining or everything is for the benefit because uh, there are objectively very sad uh, situations. My mom last year lost, lost her sister and uh, there was no silver lining to that. But the meaning in that was that there was a person in her life that she loved very much, who was important, who has given so much in her life. That meaning is still there. Even if the person is gone, even if there's grief, if the grieving is left behind, so I, I do think that purpose is important because it, if you have a purpose, it gives so much meaning to so many things in your life. And um, it's interesting. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's who's a young guy still starting his career, and uh, he was he was talking about the numbers game. You know, the, the, a lot of young uh, young men are very excited about achieving success and, and and making a lot of money <laughs> which is cool mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't think it's bad but i casually mentioned that i don't think you actually um have uh, have a purpose in your undertakings it's it's more about just and literally today he sent me a message saying like i wonder how do i find my purpose which is so interesting because no matter how engaged you are in your life no matter how how vibrant colorful and um, affluent it may be if you don't have that meaning you're going to end up in midlife crisis or stuck or depressed so true i'd say particularly though if your goal if you're looking to achieve material wealth i really think that happens to more of those people because i just think that I think that the the gains become smaller and smaller the more and more that you have in terms of materials. So if that's what you're looking to achieve, then I just see so many rich people who are pretty much miserable and, and don't really have that sense of purpose. I've reached a certain level of material wealth where I don't get any more joy from having any more materials. I literally have everything that I need. And so I think purpose is very... Do you remember I was talking about chocolate? Yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. If it doesn't have a deeper meaning, you're going to get the, uh, you know, you're going to get that uh, effect of uh, addiction. You mm. need more of it, yep. and it has less effect on you. I think I think the economic term is the law of diminishing marginal returns. <laughs> yes, that's a good that's term. Um, yeah, the more you have something, the less you appreciate ev- every additional unit of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but yeah, that is, you've you've spoken so coherently, and uh, it really resonates with me. A lot of what you're saying. Uh, Thank you. Uh, so, how, where can we find this book? Has it been published yet? You know, I'm definitely going to read it, but I haven't had a chance yet. But can, where can we find it? So it's 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 been slightly delayed for many reasons. That we are in the uh, final month of editing it, and then my. Um, the the lady who's my illustrator has disappeared, so I have to find her oh. back. I hope I hope to publish it before before summer. What sort I of illustrations will... are going to be in there? Well, uh, the, it, you still need an illustrator for a cover and gotcha. for 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 putting into because I have some charts there, so she's okay. going to re mm-hmm. recreate the charts and, and and place them properly. So it's not illustrator as in like drawings. That would be fun sure. though. Maybe. Maybe I should draw something for that, but uh, but uh, yes, I, I don't have this. Uh, th- this person disappeared, but it's coming. I, I do hope I'll publish it before summer because I'm self-published. Sure. I how could I publish a book about being myself? Uh, not right. myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely works. As a creative person, do you struggle to let a piece of art or a piece of work go? 
No, no, no. Um, not really. I've done art, uh, visual art. I mean, I, I, I draw uh, since I was a kid wow. and uh, I am a perfectionist, so I get it. Yeah. But I've also learned uh, when you work with deadlines, sometimes you can't be perfectionist. You have to be uh, on time. So I've actually with my art, I've learned to just let it go at some point and not go into perfection, especially that uh, I, I draw my medium is, is pencil. So if you if you. Wow. Uh, erase it too much you'll create a hole in the canvas i mean in the paper so i i get it it's it's quite okay with me i'm actually okay letting it go my problem was the war when that erupted i couldn't like i emotionally couldn't get myself back to mm. a book for a while mm. because i was thinking it's so unimportant uh, something else is much more important but my editor is super nice to me she keeps reminding me she's like no your book is necessary you have to come back so <laughs> i'm back to it <laughs> But so how can people sort of keep up to date and find out about where to find your book? Is it just to go to your website? Uh, I'll be publishing it widely through Mindvalley and through myself as well. My mm -hmm. Instagram account is the most uh, lively place. Uh, I usually post things at least once a week, sometimes more often. And it's uh, I, I have no one writing there except myself. So it's me. I even sometimes occasionally reply to people. <laughs> so it's only me. I don't have a team there. That's the only place where you get me. Got you. And I will obviously put all of the links to your work in my show notes and with my in my, my website. I once wrote a book and um, somebody asked me, uh, how much have you written of it? And I said, oh, I've done about 95%. And he said, oh, good. You've only got about 50% to go then. <laughs> because for me, like I've got that creator's caveat. I can't let... I've got that creative insecurity where I just, it's never quite finished. And I did that when I was working as a musician as well. I could never actually finally say, I'll put it out because I just, yeah, I was so precious about it. But art, art is such a good place to uh, practice imperfection. Mm -hmm. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't take it to perfection. It's, it's ridiculous. So sometimes you have to let the child, child fly and, 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 and you know what, what worked in, in my art school, and I'm talking about visual arts, is that I would draw something and it doesn't make sense to me. And then they, uh, like once, once uh, every semester they had their, their judging, or was it once a year, I don't remember. They would put all our art on the wall and there's this committee and they're looking and they're commenting on that. And every time I listened to that, I was thinking, oh my God, there's so much meaning in my art. I didn't even see that. So that was such a good practice. Wow. People, they, they, take what, they take what you have created and they will see things you didn't even know were there. Mm. But you put them there. You just were not maybe always conscious or maybe you didn't realize that. Wow. So that was yeah. a great practice. That's why I don't mind giving half finished work and see what people say. I'm not going to keep you for too much longer, but I have a couple of questions I want to ask just to finish up. Yeah, of course. Who inspires you? Uh, I, being Estonian, I'm not too prone to being starstruck, <laughs> and I generally f manage to find inspiration in uh, everyday life, in, in people that I meet, and some of the most profound lessons I've actually learned, not from the big teachers, of course, they, they have a lot of profound uh, lessons, but sometimes... Um, in situations which I didn't expect, or like my children have taught me so much, or I once had an interview, I was going to it thinking like, oh, not this topic again, seriously, this is so superficial. And I go to the interview and the, the person, the guest totally wows me and I'm uh, shocked. It's not something I expected. And that's that's the beauty of, of inspiration. It strikes you when you least expect it. Uh, when it comes to creation, 
Hmm. I don't know. I guess if in, in certain circumstances, I will uh, I will immediately come up with people that I admire. Among the teachers, I have I have a personal friend who has taught me a lot, but he's a Russian teacher, so I believe your listeners wouldn't know him because he only teaches in Russian. Um, mm. We have a lot of. But I mean, they could they could they could search him out. I much prefer left field suggestions <laughs> rather than just mainstream people that everybody's heard. His of. name is Dmitry Shamenkov, <laughs> but he teaches in Russian. Dmitry so <laughs> uh, he's he's mm-hmm. the guy who taught me honesty. Without, you know, I had I had complicated relationships with honesty because um, I'm private. Don't we all though? Yeah, I'm a private person, and there are there are different ways of, of of looking at that. But I'm a private person, so the idea of let's say radical honesty, like it was, um, there was this TV show Lie to Me. There was a character who was radically honest. He would say everything that crosses his mind. That was right. terrifying for me. I need my space. I need my privacy. So he was the guy who who taught me to to be friends with honesty and to be like to be absolutely at peace with it. Uh, People who inspire me, God. I, I guess it depends on which which area you take. I I do I do get inspired by people, but it's either like those flashes of inspiration. But I I wouldn't uh, file them off as okay. This is my role model. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm it's, struggling it's, to give you the names. <laughs> <laughs> but when I see, when I teach, I, I, I mean, when I share my 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 uh, theories, then I do refer to people like Susan David. I love her uh, in in psychology; she's amazing. Or I was just writing a post for the um, for the Inter- International Women's Day. Um, if I can remember her name, uh, her family name is Criado Perez. She is an author of a book. I do not know anything more about her, but as a feminist, she absolutely inspires me. So it depends on the, on you know, on the, on the context. Yeah, absolutely. On the context, yeah. It's a very broad question. And if we talk about art, I love Monet and Manet, both of them, actually. I actually maybe Manet more than Monet. <laughs> wow, Monet, yeah. I spent about three months living in Paris uh, when I was a student, and I just completely fell in love with Monet and everything around Monet. Manet is French as well, right? Yeah, I like, I like actually, I started liking Manet more now because uh, he was a little more edgy. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, Monet's, Monet's just so impressionistic and beautiful and gorgeous and romantic, isn't it? Yes, yes, he's he's a little softer. And yeah, depending on the area, I will have my idols there, but not not something like, okay, this is my role model and that's what I want. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you another huge question to finish, but it's just a general question. Do you think that we are going in the right direction as humankind? Do you have hope? moving forward that we will meet the challenges of of climate change of war and violence and aggression that's going on now do you think that we're going in the right direction do you think we will ultimately go in the right direction or or do you think we're really done for <laughs> i hope not i can't I, I can't give an analysis to that because i don't know all the data and uh, people are unpredictable as we know but if you look at 20 years ago to now, do you feel a, a greater sense of optimism about us as humankind now, as humanity? Or do you, do you feel more cynical about it, sceptical, <laughs> tired? I'm definitely not cynical. I, I like to make uh, cynical jokes, but I'm not cynical. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need more of you in that case. And I actually quite enjoy cynical people, by the way. <laughs> They're fun. But uh, when, it, uh, when it comes to humanity... I know that we have the power to actually destroy the planet, uh, whether it's through war, conflict, or climate change. I know we have that power, and it is a scary thought. But 
the only thing we can do, especially like if we come back to the initial uh, topic of our conversation, there's war very close to us. But I also know that personally, it's really hard for me to do anything meaningful. I can't stop the war. I can't put my hand, uh, you know, and, and say stop. So in this kind of circumstances, the best thing you can do is, is hope for the better. I love the song from... Um, from uh, Frozen, Frozen 2. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there, you can tell you've got kids. Uh, yeah. So there is this song, um, in, and it, it literally the, it, it has genius lyrics. So if you if you uh, if you Google check the lyrics, it's genius. But the the thought of the song is that sometimes in the darkest moment, the only thing you can do is just the next right step. And just keep doing this one right step after another. And that's the thing that okay. will take you out. Uh, mm -hmm. And and that's literally what I believe in, that, that the best thing I can do is the next right step in my circumstances. Can I be honest with myself? Can I be in integrity with my values? So yes, there is war. I can't stop it, but I can express myself. I can say what I think. I can ignore the fact that people will hate me or unsubscribe from me because this value is so important that I'm willing to... To, to to antagonize somebody in my audience or to, to uh, attract criticism that is not pleasant. So it is the right step. It might be small, but it is the only next little step that I can do. That's towards personal responsibility. When it comes to humanity as a whole, uh, I think that humanity is much better right now than it was, let's say, 100, 200, uh, 1,000 years ago. We are evolving. Human rights, the concept of human rights, appeared after World War II. It was a right. traumatic, post-traumatic reaction. People suddenly realized mm. that we need to, we, we need to crystallize that idea. So right now, even though uh, Ukraine is burning and is being bombed, but let's say in World War II, these things were considered, okay, that's just the side effect of war. And right now we are talking about if there are civilian casualties, that's a war crime. This is a huge mm. improvement compared to uh, to World War II. A huge improvement. Great. And these yep. things are thanks to us as a humanity evolving and agreeing on more and more things. We still don't agree on a lot of stuff. That's why we have the climate change. That's why we have poverty. That's why we have uh, we have conflicts and and war. But we are moving. Maybe slowly. Maybe we make wrong mistakes, but we are moving. The thing that I believe and that helps me fall asleep is the goodness of humankind. No matter how many mistakes we do, I still, I still like even, even this whole situation with Russia and Ukraine. It seems like it's impossible, but I, I hope somewhere deep inside that somebody is going to wake up next to Putin and say, "Dude, stop!" or, or have the, the power to stop him in one way or another. You know, I, I believe in goodness in the, of the humankind. We, we as a, as a living system, we are, we are moving towards, towards healing. Mm, is it is it going to be fast enough for us to save the planet? I can't tell. Um, but but humans are good, and if we do bad, it's because we are hurt. Wow, what a beautiful response! And you know, as you say, some some of these people in Russia may not have the the power to make Putin change his mind or or change his ways. But look at the courage of people in the street in Russia who are protesting against what's happening at the moment, and they know what's going to happen to them. They're going to end up. Some of them could go to be in jail for ten years just for protesting in the street. I mean, it's such a ridiculously constricted society right now. But the courage to do that, to make to make your voice heard, however small that voice is, I just find that that. That really that, that really gives me faith in humanity yes i agree that that's why my mission is to tell people happiness is important 
we, we hurt each other we hurt each other because we are hurt if you could if you could uh, prioritize your happiness and actually do the things that matter to you then you wouldn't be going out looking who i could suppress to feel my worth yeah and and you know apart from anything i feel that i personally have a responsibility to be a positive person to the people around me because it's a, i really believe it's a domino effect if i'm a miserable bastard and i go around being miserable with everybody they will be more miserable it's as simple as that not as good i actually i'm quite a human being i can sometimes lash out and be very unpleasant <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased that you mentioned Frozen as well because I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I have a 16-month-old daughter. Frozen 2. Okay. I watched Up with my daughter uh -huh. last night. Have you seen that before? Yes, yes. It's it's, it's such a, a cool movie. Yes. I still have tears in my eyes thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> um I, I thank you so much. It's been an incredible education for me speaking to you. You're a wonderful human being and it has become a personal ambition of mine to meet you at some stage. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Oh. Well, it's, I'm, yeah, I, I really mean it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. <sighs> the Natural High. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.